Our sermon text for this morning, um, this might have been my error in communication. It's not from John 17. The scripture text is going to be from Psalm 119, verses 25 to 32. This is the, uh, I believe, the fourth section, Daleth, in Psalm 119. So we're, we're looking at Psalm 119. The section from verse 25 to 32. This is God's holy word. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. I have declared my ways and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have stuck unto thy testimonies. O Lord, put me not to shame. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Let's ask a blessing on the preaching of the Lord's word. Heavenly Father, we ask that by your spirit you would shine in our hearts, that you would illuminate truth to us, that the unfolding of your words would give light and understanding. We confess we are simple people, each one of us, and we need your spirit to guide us in wisdom, your spirit to guide us aright. So be with us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The theme I want to bring to you from this passage of God's word is this idea of soul renovation. And that's not a phrase we've heard. And as I was thinking, I was thinking along the lines of what we're talking about with personal revival. I was originally thinking personal revival, but I like this idea of soul renovation. A similar concept here. Uh, Renovation is a thing we're familiar with. I remember in maybe the early 2000s, there was a boom of popularity of renovation shows and ideas, and everyone was looking at how they could make their spaces better. Because this is something we all experience. If you are a homeowner, you know that homes don't just keep themselves up. They require maintenance, but sometimes if maintenance is neglected or just from age, you might come to a point where your home really is in great need of significant renovation. Not just a new coat of paint, but maybe structural Significant work needs to be done. That's the principle in science. They talk about entropy, that things naturally break down. Things naturally fall apart. And we know that God's word tells us that our soul, our spirit, we are habitations of the Holy Spirit. We are houses of Christ who dwells in our hearts individually as well as corporately. And just like our homes need renovation at times and maintenance, so do our souls. Our habitation for the Holy Spirit is often not as holy as it ought to be. We can feel the disrepair sometimes in ourselves. And this is to different extents for all of us. But I think our souls so naturally get oppressed and run down that we are constantly in need of soul renovation. A work to fit us to be a habitation. And isn't that why we we renovate? To make our homes more habitable, more pleasant. The Puritan Richard Sibbs, 
he talked about this concept of entertaining the Holy Spirit, that we want to be vessels that are places where the Holy Spirit would delight to dwell. And you know, if you're going to entertain guests, you want to make sure your place is ship-shape and make sure that it's a welcoming place. And that's what we want our souls to be. We want our souls to be a welcome and good habitation for the Holy Spirit. So I want us to think this morning about David is lamenting the state of his soul in this psalm. And I want you to think in your own life, where is the state of your soul? And not just in faith or unbelief, but as a believer, what in the house that the Lord has made with you, where is it run down? Maybe you're in a state of apathy and you're feeling cold towards God. You have a home, but it's like the fire hasn't been warming and it's just cold. You feel coldness in your heart and you need to restart that central heating and get the fires of love towards God burning again. Maybe there's willful sin in your life that you're aware of but allowing and you see the evidence of, as it were, the, the carpenter ants one at a time, but they're inside eating at the structures, eating at the framing and there's structures ready to collapse because of the allowance of sin in your life. Or maybe you're in a time of protracted suffering and it's like that the water mains in your soul have burst open and you feel flooded, you feel overwhelmed and you need healing from the Lord to repair and recover. Or maybe this was a time past but you still feel like that was just maybe duct taped over and it would be painful to pull that off and open up those areas of your heart that have been affected and pained. And you need the Lord to do a work. Maybe that's an area of soul renovation you need. Or maybe it's been just a season of neglect. And you're not spending much time on your soul. You're out and about here, there, haven't been paying much attention to your spiritual life. And it's just getting run down. And you need to come back and get your priorities straightened in order to see the Lord make your soul a fixed and good habitation for him. And this is David's prayer. And the structure of this section is really interesting. Psalm 119 can often feel like a sort of random collection of verses. And maybe David penned these couplets at various points. But the collection of them into these sections seems to be intentional. This section called Daleth, every verse begins with that same letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And I think we see a clear structure and flow of thought in how David has written this. Um, if you have your Bible, I really recommend you open it right now. I just want to walk through this. And I think if you're looking at it, that will be very helpful in seeing this structure I want to talk about. We see this, soul, this psalm is split into two parts. And David walks through the same pattern in each of them. And that is what I want to call, he admits, affirms, and agrees. So look with me at this um, psalm, verse 25. He admits, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. He admits it. And then he prays, quicken thou me according to thy word. This is all bathed in prayer. Verse 26, he affirms a truth about the past. I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. And now he prays again, teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. And then he makes a resolution. He agrees, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. So he first admits where his soul is. He affirms what he's done and he agrees where he needs to go. 
And this pattern's going to repeat again starting in verse 28. He says, he admits, my soul melteth for heaviness, praying, strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me thy law graciously. And then again affirms truths about the past. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have stuck unto thy testimonies and praying, O Lord, put me not to shame. And now he agrees, he resolves, I will run in the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. This is a pattern I want to talk about for each of us as we're applying this to the idea of soul renovation. That we first need to admit where we're at. Honestly admit where we're at. Secondly, to honestly affirm where we've been. And then thirdly, agree where we need to go. And lastly, we'll look at asking for help. How do we bathe all this in prayer? So we're looking at admitting, affirming, agreeing, and asking. So firstly, admitting where you're at. This is the idea of confession. And this is what David says in verse 25 and verse 28. First he says in verse 25, My soul cleaveth unto the dust. This word for cleaving is the idea of almost being glued to. And we feel this when our souls are dusty. And in in that desert culture, your soul cleaving to the dust. The dust is not something you want to cleave to. It sticks to you. It's filthy. It needs to be washed. And don't we feel this so often in our own souls? That it's not like you're fully in the filth, but there's that a dustiness, a staleness, a clinging to the things of this earth. We think of the dust as the opposite of the things of heaven. We want to be spiritually minded people. We want to be heavenly minded people. But we so often find ourselves so gripped by the things of the earth. Because we live in the earth, we walk in the earth, and it's hard to escape just the worldliness all around us. And we feel sometimes our souls just feel crusted over. They feel dusty and stale. This is what David admits, but then in verse 28 he says, My soul, again talking about his soul, it melts for heaviness. And this idea of melting here is, the the thought is of dropping And you can almost think of tears pouring out. This is a weeping, a lamentation, a soul that's burdened down with trial and pressure such that it feels like you're in a state of weeping. And these are our two big things we deal with in the Christian life, our sin and suffering. That sin, that dustiness we feel, that suffering, that dropping, that heaviness that we feel. Some today might be feeling more the need of renovation with the sin you're feeling. Others may be the suffering you're undergoing. We're generally oriented between one of these is taking prominence and pushing us in the faith. And David admits this. He confesses it even unto the Lord. And the problem is that so often our pride keeps us from admitting where we're really at. We don't want to acknowledge the state that we've allowed the house of our soul to get to. To admit that we have neglected it. That it is in a state of disrepair. That we are in a time of struggle. To admit that we need help because, you know, we go to church. We're good Christian people. I have it together. To admit to even yourself that there's things where you very much do not have it together. It actually takes a humbling. A humbling of yourself. This is a principle I think we see more more clearly in children. 
Have you ever had a child, or maybe been a child, that struggles asking for help? Maybe it's something like getting dressed, and the kid has their shirt on backwards and shoes on the wrong feet, and you go to help them, but it's, no, no, I got it. I can do it. I have it right. And just that unwillingness to admit, I have no idea how to tie my shoes yet. I'm three years old. I need help. And it seems ridiculous to us, but we can often be the same way with God. We want to think that we can accomplish this in our own strength, that we're not utterly dependent, that we're not utterly helpless. But we do have need of washing. We are dusty. I love that little picture in John 13 where, remember, Jesus is going to wash the disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter, and Peter is repulsed at the thought that his master would see and wash his dirty, filthy feet. And he says, Lord, don't, don't wash my feet. I won't let you. And Jesus says, if, I don't wash your, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. You have no part with me if you don't let me wash your feet. So Peter, in, in his way, goes the other direction. He says, oh, w- don't wash just my feet, then wash my head. Wash my hands. And Jesus says, no, it's, it's okay. The one who's already been cleaned has no need to wash except for his feet. And that's a beautiful illustration, I think, of the Christian life. That for us who have trusted in Christ, we have been washed. The washing of regeneration, pictured in baptism, and cleansed by the Holy Spirit. Yet, as we walk through this world, this vain world where he guides our feet, we do collect that dust. We do get covered with the dust. And so we have need of daily cleansing from the sin that remains in our flesh. That sin that contaminates. And so the first step in admitting the problem, admitting where the state of your soul is at, is getting rid of the pride that would not allow you to come to the Lord with these things. And so by way of application on this point, first you need to recognize that if you want to follow David's example here and the commands of scripture, to first you have to admit it to yourself. This should be the easiest. To admit to yourself, to honestly examine yourself and think, here's where I'm really at. Secondly then, but to admit it to God. To confess your sins to the Lord. It's not enough just to acknowledge it. You have to bring it to God. We're commanded to confess our sins to the Lord. But we don't do this in fear. We do this remembering the promise in the first chapter of 1 John. Where it says that if we confess our sins to the Lord. He's faithful and he is just. Not only to forgive us our sins. But also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To wash us from unrighteousness. Confess your sins to the Lord. The beauty of forgiveness that we sang about in Psalm 32 is so incredible. But then also, and this isn't necessary in every single case, but there is a power in admitting to someone else. Sin loves to grow in the dark. It thrives in the dark. And part of confessing your sin to another person, someone you trust and are close to, is a part of bringing that into light. And just the fact of bringing it into the light can help destroy and weaken the power of sin in your own life. There's that promise in James 5.16 where we're told to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. Confessing your sins to someone else also gives that person an opportunity to pray with you and for you. We're called to help one another. And this is one of the wonderful gifts, I believe, many of you who have had the privilege of being married. To confess your sins to your spouse. That's a person who's by your side so often and frequently that they can be a great help 
and a great asset to you in that. Because indeed, before honor comes humility. Anyone who would be raised up must first be brought low, acknowledging our true state before God. As Martin Luther famously said, that the whole Christian life ought to be one of repentance from start to finish. We want to be poor and contrite before the Lord. So firstly, we need to admit where we're at. Admit where you're at today. Be honest with yourself. But secondly, David affirms where he's been. He affirms where he has been. Look at these statements. In verse 26, he says, I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. He, he declared his complaints. He declared his passions unto the Lord, and the Lord heard them. He's remembering the past, and this is encouraging him in the present. Verse 30a, I have chosen the way of truth. David is reminding himself of this as much as he's telling this to the Lord. That I have, been, I have committed myself to God's paths. I have chosen to walk in his truth. Verse 30b, thy judgments have I laid before me. Lord, your word has been before my eyes. I've looked at it as at a blueprint. I want to follow it. I've determined myself to walk in it. Not perfectly, but I have set it before me. And 31, I have stuck unto thy testimonies. Of course, not perfectly, but David is saying, I have lived uprightly. I have lived in a cleanness of conscience. I have lived in a way that I have endeavored to align my life with your word. And this is probably the least understood or the least talked about thing in this psalm. I think in general, when we're thinking to encourage ourselves in the present, we're well aware of the help and usefulness of remembering God's past faithfulness to us. Lord, you gave grace to me in the past. I can trust you to give grace to me in the future. But this isn't what David does. David is remembering his past faithfulness to the Lord. What he's done, that he has committed himself to God. That he has stuck unto God's testimonies. And this seems a little bit counterintuitive to us. We want to be humble, right? So why is this almost a boasting in his previous walking with God and accomplishments? And I think this can go this way, that think about if you're in college and maybe halfway through your degree program, you feel like you've done a lot, but there's a long ways still to go and you're feeling discouraged, you're feeling heavy, weighed down with your homework, but reminding yourself, why, did, why am I here? I committed myself to this program. I committed myself to this idea that I do in my head. I do know it's good. I do know it's right. And just even remind yourself of your own commitment can help bring encouragement into your present circumstance. Or even thinking of marriage, maybe a marriage where things are not quite as vibrant as they once were. Things are getting stagnant, taking one another for granted. But to remind yourself that you're feeling discouraged, I'm not being a very good spouse. But then you remember, but I have been faithful to my spouse. I have kept myself for them. I have loved them. I have sought their good, not perfectly, but I have. So let me strengthen my weak knees. Let me serve. Let, let's renew our love. Remembering your own past actions can be an encouragement in the present. And David is doing this. He's not doing this as to induce God or twist God's arm here. They're saying, ah, God, because I did this, I now expect you to do this. But this sort of declaration and affirmation of his past faithfulness to God is actually an encouragement to his own heart in prayer. 
when you remember how you have walked with God, it encourages you to continue to go with him. Knowing that all your choosing of God's ways, all the faithfulness you have shown to him, that is God's work anyways. That's God's grace in your life. And so remembering your own faithfulness is also remembering God's faithfulness to you, to bring you along. And so this is that, our, that second principle of affirming, affirming where you've been. And there's ample proof in the scriptures that this is an okay and even good way to pray. We read John 17 earlier, and nine times in there, Jesus says, I have. He declares to God what he has done. The Father knows. Why does he need to know what Christ has accomplished? It's not to twist God's arm, but this is even an encouragement to Christ. As he remembers, Lord, I have shown your name to these disciples. I have kept them in your truth. So Lord, sustain me. So Lord, help me in the season of temptation. Bless these people. Make them one. In Psalm 26, David six times uses this I have sort of language. And this is scattered throughout Psalm 119. Let me give you a couple examples. I think this will be more clear in these examples. He uses that term for. For. Notice how the for is the pivot here. Psalm 119.22, he prays, Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. Remove this from me because, for, I have kept thy testimonies. Psalm 119.66, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Lord, I've believed your commandments, I've sought to walk in them, so teach me more. Open my eyes to behold more from your law, to walk in greater faithfulness. 173, let thine hand help me, for I have chosen thy precepts. So this is a principle you can use in your own prayers to confess your own life where you've been to the Lord as a help in prayer, as an encouragement to yourself. Maybe you are feeling in need of soul renovation today and discouraged in your walk. Think of the Lord's faithfulness to you, but think of how you have sought to walk with him. Think of the opportunities you've all had to walk away from the faith. You've each been presented with opportunities to sin against your conscience in such a way that you would leave the Lord forever. You've all been presented with opportunities to go astray in a hundred ways, but yet, through the Lord's grace, you've been faithful. Not perfectly so, but have overall sought to walk in integrity. And so even as we're admitting where we're at, we're confessing that we don't have it all together, we can affirm what God has done in us. We can affirm where we've been. And that's an encouragement to us in prayer. That calls us in encouragement and faith to reach forward and stretch out our hands to God in prayer, that he would continue and finish the work he started in us. So admit where you are, but affirm where you've been. And thirdly, where see, agree where you need to go. We're talking about the power of resolution here, making a firm resolve. And this is what David does at the end of each of these two sections we're talking about. Verse 27b, he says, So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. He agrees to meditate on and discuss what God has done. And verse 32, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. I will talk and I will run. We'll look at these in a bit more detail in a minute. But I want to talk about resolution. 
If we're coming under conviction, we realize we need to confess. We're, we have declared where we're at. If we leave it there, we end up at a nebulous space, just a feeling, just an idea in our heads. And what resolution does is it, it channels all this, it focuses all this into actionable items. It focuses vague feelings into specific actions. Kind of like um, a rain catcher if you're trying to collect rainwater. The rain falls, an, an overall feeling of wetness of rain, but it's not focused in a very usable way for yourself. So when you collect it all and you focus it in one area, the water is collected and it's useful. It becomes useful. So what resolving does, making specific agreements, it makes a point on the arrow of how the word is convicting us to allow it to go and have its work. And resolution can be a very helpful thing to look back on. Um, in writing down a resolution that I will endeavor to do this or I resolve to do such and such, that can be a really helpful check in your life. Uh, here's an example. My, my wife and I, when we got married, we, we did, we did the, the traditional vows, but we also wrote to each other resolutions. The things we want to tell each other, here's how I want to live with you. Here's how I want to serve you. And even just before um, I parted from my wife in the morning, I happened to see that list we had up, and I looked at it and was just reminded of, this is how I committed and resolved I want to live with my wife. Here's how I want to love her. Here's how I want to serve her. And it was a good check for me to be like, where am I off in that? Where am I not in keeping with those specific resolutions I made? And so resolutions can be a helpful reminder, a helpful list to check against. And I would love if some of you today came up, even wrote down specific ways, specific resolutions and ways in which the Lord you believe would have you change or have a specific commitment, a specific action. And there's much we can learn here that I think will be very helpful to us. And I think we can learn as well from what David resolves. So firstly, he resolves to talk of God's wondrous works. This Hebrew word for talk here, it could just as well be translated meditate. It's an idea of meditating, pondering, studying, but also talking, singing, or speaking. And the same idea is in play here. If you're going to talk something, you have to first think it. If you want to talk wisely and intelligently, at least, you need to at least have some level of pondering beforehand. So the same idea of mental effort to think and then to communicate what is thought. And he says he endeavors to meditate on God's wondrous works, what God has done. We could think of these perhaps in two categories. We can think of God's faithfulness, God's works of historical faithfulness, his work of providence in your life, how he's led you. We know that God appoints the times and places of our dwelling that we might seek him. Just think, thinking of God's faithfulness in the family you were raised in. The areas he's led you, the family he's given you now, the pastors and ministers that the Lord's brought into your life, God's faithfulness and providence, but also his faithfulness in redemption. What a wonderful work the cross is. What a glorious reality that we get to be bought, purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful work to meditate on. That'll stir up your soul and inflame you in love to God, but also thinking of the works of regeneration and the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying you, in cleansing you, 
in leading you through battles of sin and suffering. That's a wonderful work to meditate on, the Spirit's work of regeneration. These are God's works of faithfulness, but also to meditate on his works of truthfulness. That God has given us a true word. He has given us a sure testimony in his word. And that is a work of the Lord worthy of a lifetime of meditation and study. The word of God is a work of the Lord to be studied. Because you see, if we want to be people who are having our souls renovated, the larger the project, the more careful you have to be about following the plan. If you want to redo electrical or piping, unless you really know what you're doing, you want to have a plan. You want to have someone to teach you the plan, show you how the schematics all work out. And that's what God's word provides to us. It provides that blueprint of our life so that when you look in the mirror of God's word and then you look in your own life, you see, oh, I am not looking like Christ in my meekness. I've been responding really sharply with my family. Or I, am, I feel like I'm not measuring up to God's plan of contentment. But I'm unhappy with the job I'm at. I'm unhappy with the family I have. I'm unhappy with my station in life. I'm not measuring up. So when we look at, meditate on God's works, that provides that blueprint for us to then reflect back and examine our own lives to see where we need soul renovation. Because if you don't have a plan, if you don't know exactly where, then you don't know what to work on, and it'll be haphazard. And you'll be thinking you need to work on this and that and the other, and missing the point, missing the focus. David agrees, he resolves to meditate on God's wonderful works. But secondly, he resolves to run in the way of his commandments. I will run in the way of your commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. So when you know that direction, when you know the plan, run with it. Don't just walk on it. Don't be those people that I'm sure you all know that they've, they've had a project in their house they're working on for 10 years. And they're always, oh yeah, I'm working on it. I'll get to it. When you know what needs to be done, do it. Don't walk in the way of God's commands. Run in the way of God's commands, knowing that God not only has provided the plan, but he gives the power and he gives the strength to accomplish it, when you shall enlarge my heart. God is the one that gives us that heart strength, that cardiovascular space, in order to run in the way of his commandments, to really work on your soul, to really bring your life into alignment with the life God would call for his people. The beautiful resolution to run, to really, really work. And I want to just bring up a couple tips or points of how to make resolutions that stick. And these apply to many things in our life, not just spiritual, but I think there's a spiritual help here. That this isn't necessarily pure scripture truth, but helps potentially. Maybe one of these thoughts will be helpful to you in seeking to resolve in a way that will be spiritually profitable. The first is to make sure that when you're looking at how your soul needs to be conformed to God, having the proper motivation. If you want to get your devotional life, your private worship intact, if you're just doing that because you know that that's the good Christian thing to do, and it's a checkbox to finish off, that is not going to be a sustaining motivation. Your motivation ought to be because you want to commune with the Lord. You want to meet with God. You truly want to know how to please him and give him the worship that he's due. Secondly, is to make your resolutions focused. To focus on fewer things. We can think of so many areas in our life that aren't quite right. And that 
gives us a scatter shot, like a shotgun. It's good for broad range, but if you really want to hone in and go in a deep impact, you use a rifle, something with one single bullet. And when we resolve specifically to focus on that thing that is most needful in your life right now, focusing on what the Puritans called your bosom sin, that one sin that seems to give you the most trouble, that main sin in your life that seems to steal the most of your joy and lead you the most away from God. To resolve how to deal with that. Resolve how to focus on that. I remember my wife telling me about a friend she talked to one time. And this friend was saying that she had been feeling, in her mind, she had always wanting to, what's the new little sin I can work on? And she knew for herself that gluttony was, had a big hold over her life. And she said, I feel like I'm constantly looking to other little things because I don't want to deal with the big thing. I don't want to deal with this major sin that I know I'm willfully doing daily because it's easier to try to focus on other sins. But this is prominent and has a stronghold in my life. And I don't want to focus on it because it's hard and it hurts. But to bring that focus to be like, I do need to focus on the main thing, the biggest thing. You remove the biggest weight first. Kill the biggest devil, if you will, that is assailing you of your own flesh and your own sinfulness. So make your resolutions focused. Thirdly, make your resolutions manageable. You don't want to bite off more than you can chew. Uh, if you want to pray more, if you pick a massive amount of time, that'll be discouraging very quickly and it won't be focused. Your thoughts will be wandering. So something even like prayer, to take a manageable chunk and if you're going from not praying at all, set it. Actually, I could recommend set a timer for one minute and say, God, I'm going to pray as hard as I can, as fervently as I can for one minute. One minute. Or two minutes. Or five minutes. Ramp it up one minute a week. But to take a small enough chunk to actually build the habit and to grow those muscles in your life that are maybe spiritually weak. Make your resolutions manageable. Also make them consistent. Having the same time and place Every day can be very helpful. If it's you want to have family worship, do you, and you, sometimes you do it at the table, sometimes you do it in the living room, sometimes you do it elsewhere, that can, it can work sometimes, but be difficult to keep it consistent. But when you establish a consistent routine, that can really help embed habits. So make your resolutions consistent. And lastly, make them accountable. We talked about confessing our sins to one another earlier, but that's why people have gym buddies. Because having another person to motivate you when you're not feeling motivated, to encourage you when you're feeling discouraged, can be tremendously helpful. And so I would really encourage you here today, this might be a step outside, but if you are feeling in your mind that there is something that you need to make a commitment to, something you need to resolve to change in your life, an area of your soul you need to renovate, I'd highly encourage you to tell someone. If you're married, to tell your spouse. That could be a wonderful way to be accountable with each other. To tell a good friend hey, here's what the Lord was challenging me in, and I know I need to resolve to do this, and let be accountable to each other so you can follow up, pray for each other, can be a tremendous help. And what also, resolution, it leads us again to prayer. Because we know that it's not just a matter of willpower, it's not just a matter of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, but this has to be a work of the Lord. And then you notice each one of these elements leads David to prayer. He admits where he's at, and that leads him to prayer. He affirms where he's been, and that leads him to prayer. And he agrees where he needs to go, and that leads him back to the Lord. He's praying 
for strength, and we need to pray for strength to keep these resolutions, for the Spirit to work in our lives, to conform us more and more to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to ask for help. If you're someone who's entirely unhandy, as I am, and you're wanting to do a significant renovation, to have a friend to ask to give help is a tremendous benefit. To have someone that has been there before, knows what to do, can guide you. And often for lack of asking, there's a lack of stuff getting done. But we have a God of infinite supply who is so close at hand that we can go to. We have a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who God has given to us specifically to assist us in our Christian life. And so we need to go to him in prayer. And in closing, I just want to bring up three points from these prayers of David. He has seven different petitions in this section of this psalm. And if we group them together, we see three prominent themes. And think of applying these to renovation in your own soul for where the problems are. The first way he prays, the first way we can pray as we're seeking the Lord is for spiritual vitality. He prays in 26b, teach me thy statute, or sorry, 25b, quicken thou me according to thy word. That is, give me life according to the promises in your word and what it says. And in 28b, strengthen thou me according to thy word. According to God's word, how the Holy Spirit works by way of the word of God, having its work in our lives. And David prays that this spiritual work through the word would quicken him, that is, give him life, and strengthen him. This is vigor, strong liveliness. And we need to pray for this. We all go through seasons of apathy. We all go through seasons of deadness. As we said at the beginning, maybe your soul is feeling very dead, very stale. So pray for spiritual vitality. Pray that the Lord would quicken you. Pray that the Lord would strengthen you. That the word would be as fuel on the fire of your spirit. So first, pray for spiritual vitality if you're in a state of apathy. Second, pray for spiritual wisdom. David prays in 26b, teach me thy statutes. 27a, make me to understand the way of thy precepts. And 29b, grant me thy law graciously. The Lord is the master renovator. As we said, he provides the blueprint for us. And we're in great need of spiritual wisdom in order to align our souls and our life with the word of God. So we pray for God to teach us. He's the great teacher. So we ask that he would teach us, that he would lead us, that he would guide us, that he would show us what we need to do, show us how to do it, that he would provide wisdom in raising children who fear the Lord, that he would provide wisdom in finding godly spouses, that he would provide wisdom in seeking a career that does benefit to society where you can help and spread the kingdom of God in your lifestyle and your witness. Help in suffering wisely. Help in suffering according to the will of God. But we also need to pray that we'd be good students, that we would have humble and teachable hearts, that we would be teachable, guidable, humble, And truly desire to, as Mary did, sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his teaching. So pray also for spiritual wisdom. If things are in disrepair in your life, pray for the spiritual wisdom to see where it needs to come into alignment. What needs to change. And thirdly, pray for integrity. Pray for an upright 
walk. 29a, David says, remove from me the way of lying. That is, remove from me a lying lifestyle, a hypocritical lifestyle, a way of living that would make my Christian profession seem like a falsehood, seem like a lie. And 31b, Lord, put me not to shame. Don't let my enemies triumph over me. Don't let my sins have dominion over me. Don't let my sufferings crush my faith. But Lord, help me to walk in the way of integrity. Remove the way of lying. Put me not to shame. I love the prayer in Psalm 19 where David prays to not let any presumptuous sins have dominion over him, but also to be cleansed from hidden faults. We need help to walk in a life of integrity. So as we're seeking soul renovation, we can learn from David to pray for spiritual vitality, to pray for spiritual wisdom, and to pray for a lifestyle of integrity. So for wherever you're needing renovation in your soul, in your lifestyle, in your family, in your Christian walk today, follow these principles of David to honestly admit where you're at. Confess your sins. Honestly affirm where you've been. Allow your past faithfulness to the Lord to encourage you to cry out for more of the Lord now. And agree. Make a specific, make specific firm resolutions on how you want to focus your energy and requesting the Lord to help you change, knowing that in all this we need to cry out to the Lord for prayer. And I would be remiss to not say that maybe your soul feels utterly run down. Maybe you don't even think that you've ever been a habitation for the Holy Spirit. That does not disqualify you. That does not keep you from the great renovator of the soul. But as we started out, it's admitting, confessing our sins to the Lord who is faithful and just, crying out like that man, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, that the Holy Spirit would come and make your heart a home and dwelling place. Christ says, if anyone loves me, my Father and I will come to him and make our home in him. To have the Father and the Son make their home in your heart, there's no greater privilege. There's no greater joy. There's no greater blessing. To love Christ is, first of all, the first step of loving Christ is to trust in him. To cling on to him as your only hope. Knowing that you don't have it all together. But God is merciful. He's provided Christ to bring forgiveness of sin. Would each heart here be a home of the Father and the Son? Let's pray together. Lord, we are a needy people. We are a helpless people. But we thank you that there is a throne of grace. That there's a throne of grace for help in time of need. And not just a throne, but a kind father who sits upon it. A mediator at his right hand. Lord, that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. To stand for us. That there's no more condemnation for those who are in him. Lord, we ask that you will renovate our souls. You would give us revival. That you would stoke those flames that are lying low. That you would renew love for you that has waned. That you would renew passion for you that has gone by the wayside. That you would renew commitment to holiness. Commitment to righteous living. Help us, O oh Lord. Lead us to, in prayer to you for all these things. Would you help my brothers and sisters to make firm resolution. And that you would help them by your spirit to do the will of God. To know it, to do it. To know you and to love you. God be a help. God be our guide. We can trust you. God of our youth, God of our age. Be with us for Jesus' sake. Amen.
as we receive the Lord's gifts, we're going to receive this offering for the church building.